in this second part, we'll be focusing on more contemporary perspectives from West Africa. And our first speaker will be David Pratton, who is Associate Professor in Social Anthropology of Africa. Um, David Pratton's work has concerned uh, southeastern Nigeria uh, for a long time, themes of youth and violence. And today he'll be talking about the arts of oil, youth insecurity and intimacy in the popular arts of the Niger Delta. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm really sorry that I've got a cold, and so I'm just going to snivel through this as best I can. Um, so my current research with colleagues um, at the University of Port Harcourt engages with the emerging field of oil culture or petrocultural studies. It aims to make uh, visible the conspicuously invisible role of oil in everyday life and culture, and to do so by examining the cultural history of Port Harcourt, um, a symbol and a catalyst of Nigeria's incorporation into the global economy of energy capitalism. Scholarship in the energy humanities shows the importance of investigating how texts, images, performance serve to stimulate and sustain the oil economy, and how the concept of spectacle particularly helps us understand ideas of progress and prosperity upon which uh, petroleum-based economies are based. It also highlights the intimate domestic ways um, in which oil structures ways of life and how aspirations of normative familial life, assumptions of ideal, liberal, pluralist societies and urban regimes of living are all premised on cheap petro consumption. And this scholarship explores the ambivalence of oil too, it examines not only the promotion of oil culture but those forms of social commentary and moral economy in which resistance and critique suggest alternative, even post-oil, futures. So what I'm looking at is how the popular arts reflect a dialectic of enchantment and disenchantment with the Nigerian petro-state. In what ways do the popular arts celebrate its profits and politics and critique its inequalities and injustices? Is the popular culture of oil a protest culture? Can we demonstrate the role of political ecology on cultural creativity in local arts and in the diaspora? So the context of this research is the Niger Delta, specifically Port Harcourt. As I say, it's a symbol and a catalyst of Nigeria's incorporation into the global economy of energy capitalism. A colonial construction, the city's origins lie in the 1909 discovery um, of oil, the own, uh, of coal, the only coal found in West Africa, um, so of huge significance to railway and steamer logistics. So the port of Port Harcourt was named after Lewis Harcourt, who served as the Secretary of State for the Colonies in the early 1910s. With the discovery of oil at Oloibiri in Rivers Province in 1956, Shell Darcy, later Shell BP, established its headquarters in the city. Foreign companies were granted licenses later on, including the oil giant Ajip, who started production in 1962 and also located their offices, actually kind of paramilitary compounds, uh, within the city of Port Harcourt. So from coal, Port Harcourt had become an important node in the global oil economy. The ethnic politics of the city were characterised by the increasing frustrations of the Ijaw-speaking uh, riverine minorities 
at Upland Ebo domination of political and economic opportunity structures through to independence in 1960 and the Civil War in 1967. The events of the Nigerian Civil War proved to be a significant watershed in the city's social and political development, with the liberation of the city in 1968 from Biafran control, consequent displacement of Ibo residents profoundly shift, shifted the demography and property-owning structures of the city. So, as a consequence, minority Delta languages and cultural performances have been celebrated at the forefront um, of um, local cultural politics since the founding of Rivers State in 1967. The historical landscape of Port Harcourt illustrates this history uh, quite neatly. Um, one of the best-known high-life musicians of the 1960s, Cardinal Rex Lawson, was a trumpeter and band leader from Calabari. Um, he spread the influence of the Cuban-inspired um, brass-based genre internationally, and Lawson's fame preceded the oil boom. Um, through his music, he spoke in uh, kind of the polyphony of the city. He sang in many of the local languages um, and celebrated the exploits of uh, Isaac Burroughs' um, abortive uh, secessionist movement and the Ijaw Volunteer Force Declaration of the Niger Delta Republic in February 1966. But in terms of the political timeline of this relationship between arts and oil, um, Namdi, uh, Gomba and Obiomu, who are um, collaborators on this project, identify the Ogoni protest um, against Shell and the Nigerian government in the early 1990s and the execution of Ken Sarawiwa in 1995 as the key historical watershed in the development of eco-aesthetics in the Niger Delta and Port Harcourt specifically. Um, since then, the insurgency crisis um, of 2007, the amnesty of 2009 mark other important uh, watersheds. What's emerged through this history is, um, through literature, through film, photography, it's a production of a very standard genre, um, uh, explaining the kind of circumstances of the Niger Delta through the plight of marginalized communities, um, duped of their rightful oil wealth by corrupt, nepotistic leaders, politicians, and chiefs. So the standard representation of youth across multiple media is male and violent. As you can see here in um, kind of the Nollywood um, uh, genre of the militant movie, um, a very kind of established um, genre where the settings of the actors, the plots um, are all very similar. Um, you see here an image of Sam Dede, um, the uh, uh, usual um, uh, leader of the freedom fighters of local youth. Um, Sam is um, uh, not only was he the kind of um, figurehead of the vigilante genre of Nollywood movies, um, but he now teaches um, theatre arts at the University of Port Harcourt um, and is another participant in this project. Um, so you see this kind of established genre emerge within Nollywood um, that focuses on betrayals and the factions of uh, warlord networks. It traces the emergence of often faceless militant cult boys. Um, seen here in Ed Cashy's quite controversial um, documentary photographs um, of the Delta, 
they're criticised often for a kind of National Geographic uh, aesthetic um, that traces the emergence, as I say, of these kind of militant cult boys, um, displaced and dispossessed, defending indigenous rights, um, usually protected by traditional rights in the, dif the different sense in their operations uh, against the oil companies and the security forces who protect them. So this genre then, this established genre, bears witness to the structural violence of oil politics. It draws out the lines of inclusion and exclusion that have led to this situation where, since 2009, uh, the state pays monthly stipends uh, to former youth militants um, not to fight um, and awards contracts to former warlords to provide security on the very pipelines that were tapped to steal crude. Um, so these are kind of classic um, images of and representations of the kind of victims and vanguards um, that we associate with narratives of West African youth. But the arts uh, of oil in Port Harcourt capture other dimensions to this intergenerational politics. And so in this paper I also just wanted to focus briefly on literature and masking um, to look at other dimensions in relation to intimacy and vulnerability. So, a little known fact, but you may have come across the uh, 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 date of 2014 as uh, when Port Harcourt uh, was the UNESCO World Book Capital. Um, this was a climax of significant literary history uh, for the city, combined uh, building on the city's literary legacy of Alechi Amadi's works, Great Ponds, the, the Concubine, and Sarah Wewa's own uh, work. You might have heard of uh, Sosa Boy, a novel written in Pidgin English about um, the Nigerian Civil War. And um, recent work, um, an investment in, um, by Shell in a, um, a large book centre. Um, there's a huge number of poetry clubs and um, book clubs um, in the city have come out of um, this particular moment. Um, and so there's a, a kind of uh, uh, celebration, really, of recent work from the Niger Delta, from Port Harcourt, um, that's produced an important seam of uh, eco-criticism. Um, ben Oakry's uh, What the Tapster Saw, for example, is described as a quintessential example of petromagic realism. It captures the intertwining collusion of private and political interests. Oakry's tapster confronts signs for the Delta Oil Company where trespassers will be persecuted. The sense of place is palpable in um, these new novels, quite contrary to Gauche's assertion that the experiences associated with oil are lived out within a space that is no place at all, a world that's intrinsically displaced, heterogeneous and international. So recent novels by Kane Gary, Yellow Yellow, Chimeka Garrick's Tomorrow Died Yesterday, and Joe Ile's and After Many Days highlight the perils associated uh, with the Delta region since the militant insurgency of the 2000s. Here, themes of personal and political loss are interwoven against the landscape of protest, violence, kidnapping, oil theft, and broken dreams in the city of Port Harcourt. Agari's Yellow Yellow narrates the story of the daughter of the relationship between an expatriate and a local Ijaw woman. Yellow refers to her skin colour. She moves to Port Harcourt, is adopted by a wealthy contractor, has an affair with a prominent ex-military politician. Her enchantment with the comforts of elite privilege is never far from a critical realisation. As Agari writes, 
The water that flowed with streaks of blue, purple and red as drops of oil escaped from the pipelines that moved the wealth from beneath my land and into the pockets of the select few who ruled Nigeria was the same water I drank. And it's this critical exploitation of the Delta environment, of its youth and of yellow and her virginity, that sets an unusually female perspective on personal agency, fertility and bodies against a standard political narrative of male youth, protest and violence. I'll come back to this, but overall, as Wenzel argues, the poetry and fiction emerging from and in, in Port Harcourt and the Niger Delta points to a political ecology of, of literature and to multivalent relationship between literary production and conflicts involving natural resources. I also just want to focus on uh, masking and a conversation that I'm exploring between histories of youth masking uh, traditions and artistic reinterpretations of masking in the context of the Delta. So as many of you will know, I've been working on this particular mask, Agaba, um, for some time. In um, his novel, published in 1965, uh, Chinua Chebe, uh, uh, in, in The Arrow of God, um, describes um, the uh, emergence of Agaba um, uh, within rural Ibo land um, and describes it as a big, heavy mask, uh, capturing masculine power and authority. Um, during the, the play, men whip one another to mark their bravery. Um, in Achebe's words, Agaba stood for the power and aggressiveness of youth. It captures the essence of the mask perfectly. Sometimes it's called Mbedike, the time of the brave. Um, and during the colonial period, um, Agaba, or Mbedike, um, becomes iconic of um, a kind of backward conservative male patriarchy. Um, in many discourses, it becomes the devil, a kind of evil force. It's captured brilliantly in the Oscar-winning colonial propaganda film um, Daybreak in Udi in 1949, which is the story of the um, construction of a colonial um, maternity hospital. Um, the forces um, of the elders uh, opposing the uh, recruitment of new nurses and kind of installation of these new facilities, of course, are Agaba masquerades that come out of the forest at night to intimidate um, these new colonial um, subjects. So its uh, origin, the origin of um, uh, Agaba is in northern Igbo land, but as Igbo traders moved across the country, um, so they took their masks with them. And here's an image of um, Agaba in southwestern Nigeria in uh, the late 1940s. Um, and with labor migration to um, Port Harcourt, um, Agaba was performed um, on the streets of the poorer neighborhoods, Job and main town at Christmas and Easter on Igbo Day um, through the 1950s. Some of the early clubs were known as um, Montana, linked perhaps to the cowboy cults, um, gangs that I mentioned before, that were linked to watching westerns in the cinema. Um, with the Civil War, though, um, and with the displacement of the Igbo population, the play continued, but not in Igbo hands, in the hands of um, uh, uh, Calabari and uh, Okrikan uh, young men who'd moved into um, the abandoned property of the city. And from here, the play expanded. Um, this is the kind of first image, it's very blurred, um, that I have of Agaba in Port Harcourt. 
Um, and this uh, particular play, uh, again, comes from the movies. The name of it comes from the movies. This is 007. Um, during the 1980s and 90s, um, the Agaba syndrome was a kind of name referring to um, the uh, limited transition of uh, young people between secondary school and, and university education. It became a kind of label for um, school dropouts um, and the unemployed who joined um, street gangs and area boy networks. And from there, um, the, um, there's a kind of explicit association, though I have to be very careful in explaining this, um, between uh, Agaba as a cultural performance um, and a masquerade troupe, as you see here, um, and the militant groups that led the insurgency across the Delta um, in the early 2000s. So it's not um, a, a correct or appropriate to sort of say that Agaba kind of morphed into um, these uh, cults, but rather certain prominent individuals who were well known as Agaba boys um, uh, uh, led um, uh, the um, emergence of particular street gangs, um, Daybam and Daywell, um, that were themselves linked to university cults, um, the Vikings uh, and the Buccaneers, um, uh, to become what were known as kind of street and creek alliances that um, led into the Delta, particularly after the 2003 election when these factions um, and they were aligned against one another, um, lined up around Asari Dukabu um, on the left, um, and one kind of faction, and Ateketum um, on the right, who was leading another faction of university and street and creek um, uh, militant groups. That amongst them um, included prominent Agaba members. Um, so. Having carefully explained that um, relationship, it will come as no surprise to you to learn that um, uh, after the um, announcement of the amnesty um, and the ways in which these former militants were reincorporated into the um, structure of, of um, uh, the oil economy and awarded contracts for um, security, um, here is Ateke Tom, that former militant warlord, um, being installed as a traditional ruler of his community, and it will come as no surprise to you that um, Ateke Tom is uh, today uh, the um, grand patron of Agaba. Um, so these kind of factions are all linked and, and lined up. So masquerade in this Agaba example concerns the kind of co coding of youth as a political category, as cult boys, as militants, more generally as youth. And Agaba captures and defines exclusion and marginality of youth as socially disadvantaged, hounded by the police, excluded from uh, normal reproductive relations as drug users, clients of militant leaders. They sing praise songs for Osama bin Laden, um, as well as remembrances for um, Ken Sarawiwa and others. And um, Like gang performance around the world, whether it concerns spirit possession, dancing or singing, these events, as Ferrandez puts it, open up social spaces where tenderness, humour, hope and solidarity intermingle with everyday tragedy. So Agaba sings about love and loss in the city, about commercial sex workers, they sing about women who refuse their advances until they, work for, until they say that they work for Shell. Um, 
And they sing songs like this one um, that bemoan uh, the inability to marry and the loss of girlfriends uh, in the metropolis. I want to marry one gay, be my man who so within performances that are kind of hyper-masculine, um, the projecting um, all kinds of images of um, uh, kind of militant youth. Um, these songs uh, kind of contain a sort of um, laconic um, humour that undercut um, that um, kind of machismo, um, that reveal a vulnerability to losing girlfriends and um, to uh, losing fights um, and to getting lost um, on life's course. Um, these are songs also that sing about oil, here about Ogoniland, where political elites organised as mafia, as Italians, um, become anxious about popular protest. Oh, I might have to click something. <laughs> Cool. So, um, so these histories of, of youth masking intersect with oil politics. They're about this kind of performative construction of youth, often displayed as kind of in hypermasculine context, but with this laconic, insecure lyrical accompaniment. And in recent years, both the music and the imagery of Agaba um, often have banned um, uh, idolatrous kind of performative trope um, has been adopted by youth within popular culture uh, more generally. Here in um, uh, Harry Sung's uh, Arabanko, which is one of the biggest hits of, um, of 2017, uh, where in the video um, he's performing with Agaba. Um, here, um, Flavor, who's the kind of um, darling of the Igbo-speaking um, pop world, um, he talks about um, fusing rap into Ogeni. Ogeni is the music um, that goes with Agaba. Um, and uh, more recently here, um, which is kind of uh, in Cola Boy's uh, recent uh, single, which is kind of um, masks meet Black Panther meet um, Afrobeats. Um, okay, we don't need any more than that. Okay. Um, but let me just close um, with a conversation that's been emerging between this kind of popular um, uh, street genre and, and pop music that goes with it um, and more formal um, artistic interpretations of, um, um, uh, of masking. Um, in work like this, Shagun ASN uh, used to work on an oil rig, um, but he's now become a kind of a leading light in the Port Harcourt art world. Um, and his uh, 2009 uh, work, um, A Face Like Agaba, 
which is supposed to um, try to capture the sense in the blue of being possessed by the agave spirit and the external um, uh, image of it. But also, and, and this is what I wanted to get onto, um, the photographic and video installation work of Zina Sarawiwa. So Zina is the daughter of the murdered Ogoni rights activist, and she's converted her father's former office in main town Port Harcourt um, into the city's only art gallery, where she promotes local artists um, and is engaged herself in what's been described as a kind of playful examination of folklore, food, uh, Nigerian popular aesthetics, religion, and masquerade. And so this is a series called Men of Ogele um, from 2014, who are um, Ogoni Agaba groups. Um, Ogele, Ogene is the music. Um, uh, the kind of metal gong that accompanies uh, the mass performance. And um, there, the, in, in Ogoni society, the uh, Agaba um, was introduced in the 80s and 90s. She describes it as a masquerade full of wit, personality, and swagger. Um, it's a kind of very self-conscious uh, revisiting of self-representation here, of lying down, of kind of inverting the rules of masquerade through lying down, um, stripped clothing. Uh, Powell's written about how these images display a very um, a kind of a vulnerable masculinity, um, while Sarawiwa stirs the historical and political circumstances of Orgele just beneath the surface. She also plays with the idea of gendered exclusions of masking by um, carving and performing her own mask. She's excluded from um, Orgele herself. So this work, um, this series of photographs was displayed as part of the uh, major uh, exhibition called Disguise, Masks and Global African Art from the Seattle Art Museum and it travelled around. And just to impress upon us um, uh, the relationship between youth, masquerade and oil, um, the following year she um, followed this up with a five stream video installation called Karikbo Pipeline. Um, Karikbo is an Ogoni mask, not uh, an imported mask like Agaba. Um, if you ever see video of this um, Karikbo mask, it's absolutely incredible acrobatic. So um, they've got these very long horns, these antelope horns, and they have to do somersaults, which is really, really hard when you've got you know, <laughs> another couple of feet on the top of your head. Um, so um, her film, uh, which I'll, I'll show, um, uh, demonstrates the kind of these performances over the remnants of the oil industry, um, a wellhead, an abandoned flow station, an exposed pipeline. Here, a mask that performed to, make, to mark the, the changing agricultural seasons and emphasize the relationship between um, human, animal, physical environments are reprinted against the landscape of oil. So to conclude, um, oil has brought Port Harcourt into new post-colonial global circuits and has witnessed the emergence of new aesthetic strategies and creative responses to ecological crisis. These strategies seem quite varied when we look across multiple genres of the visual and performative arts. Much contemporary documentary photography is dystopian in its aesthetic, while most popular music celebrates accumulative excess. But perhaps the ideas of enchantment and disenchantment are not persuasive when thinking about representations of oil because they offer a choice, but because of the necessity of embracing both positions contrasting celebration and critique, pleasure and pain, being enthralled and appalled. The critical ambivalence seems quite pronounced in some of the work from and about Port Harcourt. Yellow Yellow 
is drawn into a life of privileged success and achievement through relationships with oil contractors and politicians. And it's this beguilement that leads to her physical undoing and compels her to abort her pregnancy so that she doesn't give birth to a child like herself, a born throwaway, a shower pekin, father unknown. It seems to me also that the celebration of youth aesthetics captured in Sarah Wewa's work offers a rather different and more complex engagement with the politics of oil than some of the more explicitly protest-oriented arts of oil. These images of spiritual, otherworldly, natural, enchanted qualities of masked bodies gain their potency because of the contrast, their relationship with a landscape scarred by rusting pipelines and marked by the symbols of international capital that are loaded with a history of protest and violence. Perhaps it can be argued from ethnographic work on Agava songs and from these visual reinterpretations that it's important to recognise the critique of the Nigerian social fabric which the arts of oil present that are powerful precisely because they arise from the projection and performance of disadvantage and disempowerment and that they capture the potential and politics of youth not as victims or vanguards but in terms of vulnerability. Across ethnography and the arts, then, we arrive at questions of vulnerability, the vulnerability of embodied existence that Butler relates to the precariousness of social interrelation and interdependencies, and to the vulnerability that positions human bodies in the path of forces and things, oil, infrastructure, anthropocene.